Al Jazeera Podcasts. Iran threatens retaliation after two blasts killed more than 80 people during commemorations for an assassinated general. It's said to be the worst attack since the 1979 revolution. So how will Tehran react? And is there a risk of a wider escalation in the region? I'm Elizabeth Puranam and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast where we dissect, analyse and help define major global stories. Let's bring in our guests. In Tehran is Hassan Ahmadiyan, Professor of Middle East Studies at the University of Tehran. In Berlin, Ali Fatola Nejad, founder and director of the Center for Middle East and Global Order. And in Bethlehem, Ayman Jawad Al-Tamimi, research fellow at the Middle East Forum with a special expertise on ISIL. A very warm welcome to all of you. Uh, Mr. Ahmed Dian, from what we know about this attack so far, who operates in this manner? Two bombings in quick succession targeting civilians. Now, there hasn't been any official uh, talk on this or any official announcement. Uh, uh, obviously, there is investigation ongoing uh, to figure out who and uh, how it was pulled off. Uh, but, but so far, we don't have any official announcement on the uh, issue. But, of course, uh, Iran's uh, regional policy and posture has put it uh, in recent decades at loggerheads with uh, two prime suspects in the eyes of Iranians. Uh, those are ISIS and its sister organizations and the Israelis and their backers. These are the two uh, prime suspects uh, as per Iran Iranian uh, analysis coming out uh, in different uh, outlets. Uh, and I think uh, uh, because these uh, are the two parties that have it seems inherent interest at this point to hit Iran with, uh, and, and its internal security. They are being, uh, uh, you know, uh, taken as uh, the most uh, probable, uh, you know, uh, parties that have All pulled right. this off. Okay, Mr. Fatullah Nejad, we are hearing from. Iranian leaders, they're not saying exactly who they think it is, but they have said things like the head of the uh, Revolutionary Guards, uh, Quds Force, has said that they blame the Zionist regime and its ally, the United States, that they're looking towards Israel and the United States. But if we look at, again, at how this attack has been carried out, it doesn't carry the hallmarks of past previous attacks by Israel, does it? Uh, that's correct, actually, because um, I, I, mean, I think, first of all, we should be extremely cautious about the kind of official narrative that we're hearing from the Islamic Republic uh, and also state media in Iran, who are uh, blaming the usual suspects, um, you know, Israel and also the United States, by the way. But if you look at past uh, Israeli, uh, you know, attacks in Iran, uh, they were very clearly targeting um, the regime and its uh, infrastructure be it military or nuclear. And uh, plus, um, there is also, um, you know, the realization in Israel that there is a wide gulf between state and society in Iran. And I think there is no appetite to execute such an operation against civilians in Iran that uh, may lead uh, to Iranian society uh, turning against Israel. So I think, um, you know, um, the probability that Israel was behind this attack is mm -hmm. uh, quite low. Yeah, and uh, Mr. Al-Tamimi, I know that you also think that the probability of Israel carrying out this 
attack is low. Again, when you look at where the bombs were placed, from what we know so far about where the bombs were placed, not near the ceremony itself that was, we believe, attended by senior regime officials, but, you know, where ordinary people who do support the regime, but ordinary people were. Uh, what can, can we surmise from this that the target, you know, wasn't senior Iranian regime officials? Well, from the... I couldn't speculate on the precise target, but in general, from the, uh, if you take it from the Islamic State's uh, standpoint, then any uh, Iranian civilian, uh, civilian, doesn't matter if it works for the government or not, uh, any Iranian civilian who is uh, Shia, uh, of the Shi'i faith, is considered uh, what they call a Rafidite and uh, an apostate from Islam and therefore worthy of being targeted in, in, in the group's eyes. And this matches with past attacks they've carried out in Iran. Um, for instance, uh, in uh, the last one they claimed actually was in October of 2022. And that wasn't targeting uh, senior officials necessarily of the Iranian government. It wasn't targeted in that way. It was just aimed at uh, inflicting mass casualties uh, among ordinary people, but just simply for being Shia. And this is in the city of Shiraz. And uh, one thing I actually would add is that um, we can't... We're, all, we're waiting for some kind of statement if it is the Islamic State to see if they actually say anything about this. Yeah. Um, it is and you are an expert on ISIL. I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but given you are an expert on ISIL, doesn't the group usually take responsibility pretty quickly when it does carry out attacks? Well, this is what I was going to say about this now, actually, that um, they don't uh, always claim every attack they do around the world. Um, and that could be for a variety of reasons, because I actually wanted to point out that there was an attack in Shiraz as well in August of last year and the Iranians arrested the operative and sentenced him to, uh, I think, sentenced him to death, as I recall, but identified him as a member of the Islamic State. He was originally from Tajikistan. Uh, but the Islamic State actually never claimed that attack. I mean, it could be that the Islamic State did the attack and then doesn't claim it because it wants to, say, leave doubt and uh, have Iran point fingers at other actors and contribute, I think, to this uh, wider sense yeah. of instability and chaos that they could exploit. All right, Mr. Ahmadiyan, tensions are certainly incredibly high in the region and Iran has vowed to retaliate, but they'll have to... It's incredibly important at this stage to find who's responsible, isn't it? Just how difficult is it to find... Uh, to get to the bottom of such an attack? Well, it's very hard. I, I think uh, they are now in, uh, uh, they are trying their best to find out, to find who did it and uh, then to link it to uh, basically who supported it from abroad. Uh, I mean, depending on the, uh, who uh, is, has supported uh, this bombing, uh, uh, I think uh, Iran's response will differ. If it's ISIS, uh, I think uh, Iran will go after its leadership in different places in the region, Afghanistan, Iraq, uh, Syria, on the Syrian-Iraqi border. 
uh, that's I think uh, uh, has been the case previously and will be the case moving forward. Mm -hmm. uh, but if it's Israel, uh, and, and, and I here differ a bit, I don't uh, completely rule out the Israeli possibility here because in Lebanon in the 80s, Ronan Bergman speaks about this in his book, the Israelis have supported parties that committed such crimes within Lebanon. So uh, you couldn't really rule it out, uh, though I agree it's a low possibility because the attack seems to be very much uh, reminiscent of what ISIS uh, mm -hmm. usually uh, has been doing in recent years. But you can't rule it out as well, the, the Israeli possibility. So if it's okay. Israel, I think uh, that's another issue. Uh, the Iranian response should be calibrated in a way uh, to deter not only Israel, but its backer, the main uh, uh, fish in Iran's strategic and, uh, you know, uh, conduct in the region that is the United States, to deter both. And, and that's, I think, is a very complicated and a very uh, uh, sophisticated uh, uh, thing to pull off, uh, because what's at stake is not only Iran's internal stability in that case. It's mm -hmm. Iran's deterrence. And deterrence yeah. in simple terms is basically, uh, you know, backing what uh, the conditional threats uh, by a power projection. If Iran doesn't respond, that power projection and that conditional threat collapse and ergo Iran's deterrence will collapse. So okay. I think the Iranians will, will find it hard not to respond in one way or another to deter. Yeah. Absolutely. Mr. Fathola Nejad, you touched there on, you know, some of the problems between the Iranian state and society. Fighters from, I mean, there are various groups in Iran itself. There's the fighters from Balochistan. There are the, you know, ethnic Arab separatists. They have staged attacks in Iran in the past. Would they have an interest, do you think, in carrying out such an attack? Well, again, uh, based on past experience, not only over the last few years, but over the last uh, four decades, I, th I think we have to be extremely cautious about, um, you know, uh, about naming all those uh, possible perpetrators. I mean, it could well be um, that um, the groups that have been mentioned so far uh, have been the perpetrator of this attack. But also, given past experience, could well be that it, it, it is in a kind of inside job. Uh, because there is a long history of such uh, inside jobs uh, from uh, the very start of the Islamic Revolution uh, to uh, just a few years ago. Remember the RGC uh, shooting down a Ukrainian uh, passenger jet and saying that actually it was not to the RGC. So there's a long history. And I think in all of that, the context is much more important here. But the when you say, in, Mr. Fathola Nejad, when you say an inside job, can you explain exactly what yeah. you mean there? Sure. So I think, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, if you, if you talk about this possibility, um, you know, the, uh, the context is important. The context is that the Islamic Republic, despite the appearance of being very strong and very stable from the outside, has a lot of problems, both at home, but also in terms of foreign policy. Um, you know, uh, most importantly, Iran uh, is going to have double elections uh, in March uh, for the parliament, but also the assembly of experts who is going to select the next supreme leader. So there is a lot of complications about those two. But also there is a regime realization about the lack of social mobilization and voter turnout and the repetition of historically vote, uh, you know, low voter turnout this time around as well. 
So this, uh, you know, this attack, whoever might be the perpetrator, really whoever might be the perpetrator, I think may be used by the Iranian state to further securitize the domestic arena, also in view of the domestic woes that I just explained against the backdrop of an still existing very profound economic crisis. Yeah, so you're saying that, you're saying the that the Iranian government might have something to gain it sounds like, from this attack. But when you say inside job, are you implying that elements within the regime itself could have carried out such an attack? Yeah, because, I mean, I'm, you, know, um, you know, you have to look at it very soberly. You have to look at, at uh, you know, you have to consider past experience with those attacks. We have never known for sure who have been the perpetrators. There have been multiple uh, so-called terrorist attacks uh, in Iran over the last few years many of which, uh, you know, have been blamed uh, on Daesh, um, many of which have been blamed on uh, the other usual suspects, but also some of which have okay. turned out to be, uh, you know, at the hands of the Iranian state as well. So I think... Okay, I want, yeah, uh, I want to bring the other guests in here because I can see that both of them have something to say about it. Mr. Ahmadian, I will come to you in just a moment, but if I can get to Mr. Al-Tamimi, I know that you have said it's as unlikely that Iran carried out this attack as Israel. So what's your response to what you're hearing there? Uh, yes, I uh, don't buy the idea that it was an Iranian inside job. I mean, just the timing of it and the number of people were killed and so indiscriminate. And um, um, and uh, in regards actually to I, uh, one of the other guests referenced the shooting down an airliner. I don't think that the Iranians intentionally did that. They did that and then they tried to cover well, up their mistake by saying they didn't do it. reported that it was intentional, but yeah. Yeah, you, you don't think it was intentional? Okay. Um, so again, I, I again, I don't think you can say that uh, for certain yet the Islamic State did it until either a statement comes out or an investigation happens, although it just seems that it has the hallmarks of it. But it okay. seems much more like that than an Iranian inside job. So yeah, I'm skeptical of that point. Okay, uh, Mr. Fathullah Nejad, if I can come back, come back to you and look at the symbolism behind the attack itself. You know, what is the message behind attacking the tomb of a man who was a chief architect of Iranian policy across the region? You know, he was he was the commander of the Revolutionary Guards overseas armed um, Quds Force, overseeing um, fighters in Iraq, in Syria, in in Lebanon, in Yemen. I mean, to, to uh, clarify my previous point, uh, I'm not definitely suggesting that it was an inside job, but I'm just, uh, you know, basing my argument on past experience, uh, which have shown a very mixed picture about the wide range of possibilities behind uh, terrorist attacks in Iran. And currently the situation for the regime is much more dire. I explained briefly the domestic situation, but also regionally the Islamic Republic has been, uh, you know, seeing severe blows with the killing of a, a top IRGC commander in Syria, but also the killing of Aruri uh, in uh, Beirut. So I think uh, it's uh, at least a welcome, um, you know, a diversion uh, from the regime mm -hmm. um, that uh, such an attack has now happened. Uh, when it comes to Soleimani, I think there is a lot of myth about, um, you know, the status that it's that he holds within Iranian society. Um, there is certainly uh, th th there has been a, a period in which uh, many Iranians believe that he's, he was a national hero, but I think this kind of uh, picture is much more contested uh, over the last few years in Iran. Also, given 
uh, an extreme, uh, you know, wide gulf that has now evolved between uh, the bulk of Iranian society and the regime on the other hand. All right, Mr. Ahmadiyan, I know that you wanted to come in earlier when we were talking about, you know, uh, Mr. Fatola Nejad said that while he's not implying that Iran elements within the Iranian regime itself c could have carried out this attack, that certainly it might have something to gain from it. It might be a welcome distraction given the immense pressures it's under internally and uh, from international uh, groups as well. Well, I differ with that view because I think uh, Iran at this point, more than ever, it needs its deterrence vis-a-vis -vis Israel and the United States, given the escalation in the region. It can't do uh, what uh, Mr. Fatullah Najat is describing to say, well, uh, securitize the internal, because uh, the Iranians, uh, uh, I mean, the Islamic Republic's main legacy is that it kept Iran stable in a region in turmoil. Now, a security bridge, a bridge on, on this scale is a, a blow to that narrative. Uh, how can that be the case? I think that's uh, Iran. I mean, the Islamic Republic has a lot to lose more mm -hmm. than it can gain from such an incident. So I think that's, uh, I mean, the, the Iranian opposition usually talks about uh, such incidents being internal jobs. Well, and the, the only incident is the, uh, uh, the uh, airplane that uh, they were late to declare, uh, declare responsibility. Uh, and that was an incident. Now, this can't be an incident. It's a bomb implanted in a, 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 in a crowd that were commemorating the Quds Force uh, uh, assassinated, very, mm -hmm. uh, you know, celebrated hero in, in the Iranian okay. nation. And people were worried going there to, uh, to take part in that. And these people are the social base of the Islamic Republic. The Islamic Republic, uh, I mean, uh, for the sake of the argument, of the Islamic Republic, even if it does so, which I didn't see any evidence in that, uh, it wouldn't hit its own base. All right. What about other groups, uh, Mr. Al-Tamimi? Sorry, Mr. Fathorin Ejel, I can see you wanting to come in here. Yeah. I think, I mean, first of all, to clarify the record about the RGC shooting down of the Ukrainian fighter jet, according to Canadian court rulings, you know, this was probably an intentional attack. So um, there is, in fact, a long history. I mean, Cinema Rex, I mentioned at the very beginning of the revolution and also, you know, later on. So this is not, uh, you know, um, some fantasy here. Um, so uh, just uh, to, uh, and, and in terms of deterrence, yes. Uh, deterrence is important, but also what is part of the Iranian national security doctrine somehow, uh, also the Islamic Republic's uh, security doctrine, is the need for crises. Uh, you know, a crisis uh, can also be uh, very uh, useful and can be instrumentalized by the state for uh, regime stability purposes. So uh, th this context also may be... Uh, All right. Okay, Mr. Altamemi, let me bring you in here. There's some disagreement. Because the attack was on Qasem Soleimani's, around his tomb. Let me bring you in here because there's a, a difference of views on his, on his legacy. Uh, Mr. Fatullah Nejad is saying that, you know, he's, he's not the hero that he was painted to be. What do you make of that? And the groups, again, the groups that would be interested in carrying out an attack on the fourth anniversary of his assassination? Yes. 
in regard to uh, Qasim Soleimani's legacy, um, I mean, uh, it really depends who you ask in the region. So, I mean, for uh, people, say, in Iraq's Hashid, who are close to Iran, they see him as this hero who was important uh, in the fight against uh, the Islamic State and also pro-Iranian elements in uh, in Syria as well uh, uh, think very highly of him are very proud to, for example, to have appeared in photos with him uh, in operations, um, whether in the Syrian desert or in Aleppo, for example. But then there are others who see him uh, from more sectarian angle as a persecutor of Sunnis and responsible for mass killing of Sunnis, whether in Syria or whether in Iraq, and uh, or, and also you know a symbol of uh, Iran's government, and so uh, there are certainly other groups that say, for example, play up uh, narratives about uh, Sunni persecution in Iran, uh, like Jaysh al-Adil, uh, and also uh, there's a movement based in Syria of Iranian. Sunni exiles as well, who've come to Syria and joined the insurgency there and put out a statement about persecution of, of uh, Sunnis in Iran. So they could also have an interest in doing okay. some kind of symbolic attack that attacks the, the, the hometown of Qasem Soleimani. Okay. Uh, but not on this indiscriminate scale, I don't think. All right, we don't have very long left in the program, so I'd like to ask um, each of you a final question. Mr. Ahmadian, do you think how much has this attack increased the chance of a wider escalation of violence in the region, would you say? Well, I think it comes in a time of uh, regional escalation already, uh, and that's what points the finger at Israel uh, and its possible backing of such an uh, incident. Though, uh, as I said, it rem it's reminiscent of uh, what ISIS used to do, but the possibility of being back, if it being backed or another group being backed by Israel is uh, still there, uh, and that will open the door wide to regional escalation because if Iran doesn't respond, its credibility and its deterrence will be at stake. Yeah. And if it, dis if it responds, and I think it will, if uh, it comes to a conclusion that Israel is behind it, then we will see uh, uh, more escalation in the region. I think this will be a regional uh, uh, response and uh, the Israelis uh, will try to drag the United States and pitch it against Iran or uh, possibly okay. other countries to try to put, put more pressure on Iran. Yeah, Mr. Fathul Nejad, do you think that Israel is trying to drag the United States into a wider regional conflict with Iran? If Israel is trying to get into the United States into, I think, I mean, um, on your first question, um, despite the fact that Tehran claims that there is a link between the two, that is the Karman explosions and uh, the war in Gaza, that it is basically uh, an act of desperation carried out, carried out by Israel and the United States because of the complications of the war, um, I think that those are two distinct uh, arenas here. Um, Iran uh, is uh, not uh, suicidal, it's not a suicidal regime, and also the kind of hard revenge that Iran had promised after the U.S. drone killing of Soleimani never materialized. So the same caution can be observed uh, within the war in Gaza. So neither Iran nor Hezbollah are interested in a great war right. with uh, Israel and or the United okay. States by jeopardized regime survival. And, and very quickly, uh, Mr. Al-Tamimi, how do you see this incident playing out over the next days and weeks? 
Um, really depends on who. It really depends on whom the Iranians hold responsible. If they hold Islamic State responsible and Islamic State claims it or whatever, then I think then that doesn't change the wider regional picture of tension escalation of the Gaza war, but it's a separate dynamic. But then if they blame Israel, uh, I expect some kind of maybe calibrated response, uh, yeah. but not necessarily attempt to go all out to war with Israel and provoke a wider regional war. So. Which will be why we're all looking at that Iranian investigation into what happened so closely. All right, that is uh, Hassan Ahmadian in Tehran. Ali Fatola Nejad in Berlin and uh, Ayman Jawad Al-Tamimi in Bethlehem. Thank you all very much. This episode was produced by Mohamed Al-Aishi, Katia Lopez-Hodayan, Veronica Pedrosa and Jimmy Getahun. Studio sound was by Alexander Chigreen. The program was edited by Soheb Al-Shuraiki, Lynn Nguyen, Vanessa Connelly and Joe DeFries. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode Thank you for listening and tune in on Friday for our next edition.